Okay, let's get into things on this soggy Tuesday. Great to see more rain around the traps. 13 12 69, the telephone number for Sydney today. Partly cloudy, the medium chance of showers. Uh, maybe they'll clear a little in the afternoon with tops of around 24 degrees in the city today. Uh, for Bathurst and Orange, good morning to my listeners in the central west of New South Wales. Partly cloudy for you today. High chance of showers. Maybe a thunderstorm as well and possibly severe with heavy falls, predicted tops of around only 22 degrees around Bathurst and Orange. And good morning to you on the mid-north coast of New South Wales for our stations. Sticking with us through till 9 o'clock this morning for Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour. Tops around 25 degrees, partly cloudy, again with a high chance of showers and the chance of a thunderstorm as well, possibly severe with possible heavy falls in the afternoon and tonight. And as I said, for Port Macquarie and Coffs, tops around 25 degrees. Busy old program coming up as always, just after seven o'clock. We're going to talk about JobKeeper uh, and, of course, Job Seeker. I want to catch up with Andrew Lee, MP, good friend of the program. Yesterday, the Prime Minister tried to dismiss the opposition's campaign as politics of envy, all because Andrew Lee and others have done some really good work on trying to ensure that multinational corporations and some of the biggest businesses in our country who've done quite well during the COVID period, uh, of course, we've been demanding they make these taxpayer benefits uh, available back to the public. In other words, if they've been able to pay their uh, big bosses, high-end executives, bonuses over Christmas and New Year, nothing wrong with that. They're a private company. That's fine. But should they have received the amount of JobKeeper that they did? And if they did, why aren't they paying it back? Some to their credit are, which is great. But there are others who aren't. Anyway, we'll talk to Andrew Lee about that this morning. He's done some really good work on this. And so far, we've seen tens of millions of dollars repaid back to the Australian taxpayer and JobKeeper payments that some big businesses did not need. So that's good news. That's on the way. Political donations. Who donates to our political parties and how much do they donate? Bit of an expose this morning with Michael West from Michael West Media. Michael will join us on the program just after 8 o'clock. And also after 8 this morning, Senator Pauline Hanson will be online. Uh, Pauline, of course, back in Canberra as Parliament gets underway for 2021. The House of Representatives and the Senate both returning for business today on this Tuesday, February the 2nd, 2021. All right, so get dialing. Let me know what's on your mind this morning, you early birds. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. Wool Producers Australia have clarified there has been no official increase in the award for shearers and shed hands. Why am I bringing this up? Well, it follows a recommendation of the Shearing Contractors Association of Australia for members to get a 15% pay rate for a 60-day period. I know we've got a lot of farmers listening to us at this early stage of the morning. Wall Producers CEO Joe Hall says the current arrangement for extra pay is a commercial arrangement between the wool grower and the shearer to shearing contractors. 
She says there is no local obligation for growers to be paid above the award. So if you want to have your say on that this morning, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Look, the Reserve Bank meets today. We know the cash rates. It's about as low as it can go, pretty much. But no changes are expected from today's Reserve Bank meeting. The cash rate is predicted to remain at 0.01%. But the Reserve Bank of Australia is expected to acknowledge the economic improvement. AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver, who you'll hear during the news this morning, says that figure is unlikely to change any time soon. 131269. A court has heard former New South Wales Labor MPs conspired to reap the rewards of a coal exploration deal. The Crown has delivered its closing address in the case against Eddie O'Bead, his son, and Ian MacDonald. Mr MacDonald allegedly caused a coal release area to be created in the Bylong Valley, located on Mr O'Bead's Cherrydale Park property. You can bet we'll be following that story up, absolutely. In the meantime, Craig Kelly continues to cause a headache for the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison. ScoMo sidestepped a question highlighting his reluctance to rebuke government MPs spreading misinformation about COVID-19 treatments and vaccines by declaring Craig Kelly, quote-unquote, is not my doctor. The Prime Minister opened the new parliamentary year with a scene-setting address at the National Press Club, declaring yesterday he wanted Australia to get to net-zero emissions as soon as possible, and preferably by 2050. That's his strongest formulation to date. Morrison also resumed efforts to invite a diplomatic and economic reproachment with China and outlined further details of the coronavirus vaccination program. Yesterday... Scott Morrison committed $1.9 billion to Australia's vaccine rollout as he prepared to withdraw pandemic payments. Now, with the looming vaccine rollout a key focus, the Prime Minister was asked whether the government was wasting taxpayers' money by embarking on a $24 million public information campaign to build community confidence in the safety of inoculations when some of his own MPs were intent on publishing false claims on social media. It was a really good question. I mean, ScoMo, why are we paying some $24 million of taxpayer money for this COVID-19 vaccination rollout, which I don't have a problem with? We need to ensure that there's enough information available to the general public about, you know, who can get vaccinated and when. We announced last week there's a whole range of hubs that will come online at the end of this month. But the Prime Minister responded by saying people should seek information about the vaccination program from official government websites, not from Facebook. But when pressed about the behaviour of Craig Kelly, a Liberal MP who has put a substantial following on Facebook, the Prime Minister declared, he's not my doctor and he's not yours. He added the outspoken MP did a quote-unquote great job in his Sydney electorate of Hughes. Kelly's serial interventions have attracted a public rebuke from the Chief Medical Officer and the Australian Medical Association. This bloke is dangerous, make no mistake about it. He spreads misinformation about a number of supposed miracle cures for COVID-19. None of which, by the way, have been sanctioned by the federal government or our health authorities.
The Sydney backbencher has not attracted any significant criticism from senior players in the government, despite being routinely at odds with public health messaging in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, the Shadow Health Minister, Mark Butler, yesterday branded Kelly, quote-unquote, a menace. Anyway, the Prime Minister yesterday used the Press Club speech to frame his priorities for the new parliamentary year, including on climate change, energy and the environment. The language about the coalition adopting a target of net zero emissions by 2050 was has warmed up since the election of Joe Biden to the White House. And the Prime Minister's comments about the target yesterday, while qualified, were warmer again, giving heart to Liberals who believe the government needs to shift. Anyway, we'll play a little soon of what Scott Morrison had to say yesterday at his press club speech. And we'll also hear from Anthony Albanese and his response to what the Prime Minister had to say. Uh, Yesterday, Albo was, I thought, quite impressive on the John Laws Morning Show when he appeared with Lawsy yesterday morning. What did you make of it? Did you hear that, uh, that chat? Give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Okay, it's 18 minutes after five. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69. The text line is open, 0458 049 209. And of course, if you want to send me an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, surprise, surprise, the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Analysis done by an inquiry chair. MP David Shoebridge has revealed all this new information. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's not about politics for me. It's not... Beradick Leon or Barilaro's money. No. We expect our money to be shared equitably across the state of New South Wales. Marcus, in accordance with need, in accordance with where it's most needed. And that's why I pushed to establish this inquiry. You know, it's a committee that I chair. It's called the Public Accountability Committee. How did a, you know, large uh, multinational timber company get 10 million bucks? Bushfire related funds. We'll be asking this question. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yes, we are. 22 minutes after five. Uh, Apparently, there's been a shocking number of New South Wales children injured in daycare centres. I'll give you the details in just a couple of moments. Give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind on this Tuesday, February the 2nd, 13 12 69 with Marcus Paul in the morning.
Jason Moyer is this love. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69 is our telephone number to have you say. Uh, disturbing story in the press today talking about uh, the fact that, well, unfortunately, a record 13,077 babies, toddlers and preschoolers suffered some kind of serious injury, trauma or illness including broken bones, burns, cuts, concussions, anaphylaxis reactions and severe asthma attacks at daycare centres in Australia last year. I mean, they all required urgent medical attention. Ambos were called to daycare emergencies 2,145 times and 1,409 kids went missing or were quote-unquote mistakenly locked in or out of services or taken away without approval. And of course, we all know we lost a little boy. He died at a daycare, uh, on a daycare bus. And he was among more than 16,000 Australian children seriously harmed or sick in childcare around the country last year. Email us, MP in the morning at 2SMSuperNetwork.com. Okay, welcome back and good morning. If you're just joining us for the first time, Marcus Paul in the morning, all the news and your views, 13 12 69 is my telephone number. Uh, for listeners around Dubbo, good morning to you on 2DU Dubbo. I've got some stories here for you. Uh, well, one in particular, a man has now been charged with murder following ongoing investigations into a fatal stabbing that happened earlier this year in Wellington in William Street. It happened on the 3rd of January at around 7 o'clock. There were reports of a fight involving several people outside a home. And shortly after, a 24-year-old man presented at Wellington Hospital with stab wounds to his stomach and his neck. He was rushed to Dubbo Hospital, but he couldn't be saved. He died. Now, police officers set up a crime scene. They established Strike Force Lorella, L-A-R-E-L-A-R, to investigate the circumstances surrounding this bloke's death. A 19-year-old man was found near the scene with facial injuries and also taken to Dubbo Hospital for treatment. Now, when he was released, he was arrested and charged with armed to intent to commit indictable offence, affray, stalk, intimidate, etc. Now, he remains before the courts. Now, following further inquiries, detectives arrested the same man at Silverwater Jail yesterday, and they upped his charges now to murder. So he remains in custody, but he will reappear at Dubbo Local Court today, most likely uh, via video link. As investigations continue, so that that man, that young man who lost his life, the 24-year-old, back on January the 3rd, police in the Dubbo region around Wellington have now charged the 19-year-old who was found nearby with facial injuries. They've charged that bloke with the 24-year-old's murder. Well, Prince Harry's made the news this morning. He has successfully sued a British newspaper over allegations he turned his back on the military when he ended his royal role. So the Duke will apparently now receive an apology and a substantial payout from the publishers of the Mail newspaper. All this money that he will receive will go to a good cause. He'll donate all the damages to the Invictus Games. So there we go, Prince Harry. 
131269, the telephone number. Look, uh, the story surrounding, well, I want to say disgraced. Well, I guess in a way he is now. Uh, this television host, Andrew O'Keefe. More details have emerged about his arrest over the weekend. Game show host Andrew O'Keefe has vowed to fight claims he punched, kicked and spat at his live-in partner, Dr. Orly Larve, who yesterday, or Orly Levy, I think it might be, Levy, who yesterday described the past day since the alleged attack as horrible. Not good, not good. Now, obviously, this has become a, a bit of a, a story because Andrew O'Keefe has such a, a big profile. But the story today is that beleaguered game show host Andrew O'Keefe has vowed to defend an assault charge and a provisional apprehended violence order taken out by police at the weekend. It comes as News Corp revealed. Police will allege O'Keefe punched partner Orly Levy in the face, hitting her lower lip, pulling her hair, kicking at the back of her legs and spitting on her. Boy, oh boy. Deal or no deal, Andrew. The 49-year-old television personality has told friends he will fight the allegations in court. Apparently, Andrew is receiving medical treatments in the wake of the incident. Really? You're not going to go down the old mental health defence, are you, Andrew? Anyway, it's all allegations at this point in time, but he will front Waverley Local Court on Thursday, charged with common assault relating to the alleged incident on Sunday morning at the Ramwick home that he shares with this Dr. Levy. The doctor yesterday was tearful outside her home, saying it's been difficult, it's been a horrible few days, I don't want to go into it, I'm not feeling good about what's happened. I mean, the Telegraph also revealed that O'Keefe had already lost his lucrative deal with broadcaster Channel 7 prior to the incident. It's believed he parted ways with the network at the end of last year, but there are still several months of the quiz show The Chase left to air with O'Keefe at the helm. Now, I wonder whether Seven will continue running this show in light of these allegations. Interesting. I mean, Andrew's had a 17-year relationship with the network. I mean, there were stages there where he was appearing on their breakfast program. All right, not only is Andrew Keefe under the spotlight, but I see Eddie Maguire is also facing the heat. Collingwood's racism report is scathing. It's found the AFL club guilty of systemic racism. This independent review will see Maguire... I mean, he's already fronting cameras, trying to explain his club's way out of this. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But if you want to have your say on these stories, 13, 12, 69, uh, bearing in mind, of course, the Andrew O'Keefe story is before the courts. But we do, so we do need to be a little careful. But the allegations are damning. It's not A-OK, screams the front page of today's Telegraph. TV host punched, kicked, spat at his partner, according to police. And, of course, the awful irony around all of this is that Andrew himself was a patron of White Ribbon, which is an anti-domestic violence organisation 
that's designed to highlight this exact kind of abuse. Awful story. Really awful story. 13 12 69, the telephone number. And I guess the other question is, will Channel 7 continue, in light of what's happened, will Channel 7 continue airing the final episodes of The Chase? I'd say they probably would. It rates very well. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13 12 69, if you would like to have your say today for Sydney. Partly cloudy, maybe a shower or two, less likely this afternoon. Tops of only 24 for the city. Good morning to my listeners on 2EL in Orange. Partly cloudy for you today. The high chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, tops of 22. Uh, maybe this thunderstorm could bring possible heavy falls a little later in the day. Good morning to listeners in Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour. Partly cloudy today, high chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, and tops of around 25 degrees for Port and Coffs. Okay, it's 14 minutes away from 6, 13, 12, 69. We'll hear from uh, Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister of Australia soon, on some of his major announcements yesterday at the press club. I'll play that audio back and Anthony Albanese's response after our 6 o'clock news. After 7 o'clock this morning on the program, as we get into our interviews, Andrew Lee, Labor MP, will join us as the PM yesterday tried to dismiss his campaign against ensuring that big business repay JobKeeper payments. Well, Prime Minister Scott Morrison dismissed that campaign as, quote-unquote, the politics of envy. Righto. Michael West will speak to us this morning on this wonderful article, Political Donations. I mean, just just on that, uh, when if you're talking about political donations, Santos which is the company uh, that's behind the Narrabri gas project, which we know has recently been approved by the federal government. And there was a, a big uproar about it, of course. But Santos had donated around $60,000 to the federal coalition. But do you know how much tax Santos have paid? Not much at all. Santos has been listed in the top 40 tax dodgers. And I'll talk to Michael West about that this morning. I mean, this is the thing. We've got the bloody federal government awarding Santos this Narrabri gas project, and yet they're amongst our top tax dodgers. I mean, how does that work? Where's the pub test here and on the best interests of Australians? Wally, are you there, mate? Yes, mate. Yes, Marcus. How are you? All right, Wally. Where are you, mate? In Tamworth, mate. Oh, okay. What's happening in Tamworth this morning? Beautiful. Oh, mate, two I've never been rain my born natural. It's absolutely come down the last two hours. Absolutely beautiful. Really? So up there in yeah. two TM uh, Tamworth area, we've got some nice rain falling. Yes, yeah, beautiful. Well, you wouldn't wish for better rainfall. It's been rain for two hours now. Yeah. Our lawns are starting to go back a bit. They were they were beautiful beforehand, but starting yeah. to go back a bit now. This will bring on tremendously now. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it, look, it's nice and green out there for areas like Tamworth, also up uh, around the northern rivers into the central west. Look, I know that some areas are still affected by drought, but the more the merrier. Keep sending it down, Huey. Thank you. Craig Kelly. 
Well, he was defended yesterday by the Prime Minister, despite the fact that this bloke is, again, spreading misinformation, dangerous misinformation on his social media. G'day, I'm Russell Crowe. In Australia, we're lucky. We live in a peaceful democracy with universal healthcare and BPAY. But others around the world aren't so fortunate. They live each day with no access to doctors, education, and are forced to drink filter coffee. Their cities are mired in civil unrest. Their people are threatened by local militia with poor fashion sense. And to make matters worse, they don't have sweet chili sauce. They are Americans. But for just a dollar a day, you can sponsor an American. At Globe Vision's Adopt an American program, we'll pair you up with an American in need and we'll build cafes in their neighbourhood that serve non-processed food and flat whites. We'll send a doctor that will bulk bill and distribute pharmaceuticals that they won't have to sell their house to receive. And each month, you'll get a photo of your American and they'll send you a ballot for a vote that they wanted to cast but couldn't because they had an outstanding parking ticket or moved house on Thursday or some other obscure bullshit. So give an American some hope and a decent chance at a good espresso. It works. <laughs> I've been part of the Australian Adopt-A-Kiwi program and look at me. I'm Russell Crowe. Ah, that's great work by the Irrational Fear crew with another uh, biting bit of satire. A young child has been injured by an alleged thief running through a Western Sydney shopping centre with stolen goods. A 30-year-old man attempted to buy a mobile phone at Lincoln Shopping Centre. All right, that happened yesterday. When his card was declined, it's alleged he took the phone and fled the store. He then collided with a five-year-old boy who temporarily lost consciousness after the impact. This little fellow is now in Westmead Hospital in a stable condition with minor head injuries, while the bloke's been charged with a string of offences. Oh, we've got it, have we? All right, here's the one on uh, that nut job, Craig Kelly. As spreaders of misinformation are banned from social media, there's only one man you can turn to for reliable untruths. Craig Kelly. There has been complete abandonment of reason. The most trusted man in lies is backing up every ill-conceived social media post and every awful conspiracy to his own website, craiganon.com. <laughs> For just $1 a week, you can get all the posts that Craig Kelly will soon be banned from posting publicly at craiganon.com, where he'll be posting anonymously under the nom de plume Craig Kelly MP. But how will you know it's Craig? Posts will be unhinged, misspelt and recycled from his sky news rants. If you look at the peer-reviewed numbers, we're going to have pestilence and plague. The seven seas are going to sort of boil and rise. Because there's only one thing better than free speech, and that speech so free, it's untethered to reality. Sign up to craigandon.com <laughs> because the cost of free speech should be $1 a week. Craig and on proceeds will go towards Craig Kelly's Senate run in 2021 so he can be a Craig upon both your houses. I love it. All right, well, we've got uh, both of those comedy bits satirical skits up on our Facebook page. Follow us on social media. Hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. Oh, I love the sound of great Australian music from the 80s. Early 90s. 1927. Eric Wilderman and his great band. Uh, they had some big success with songs like that and a stack of others. 1927, the name of the band. All right, we're going to go to the newsroom and we've got to go. That's great English, Marcus. 
We need to go to the news in just a couple of moments. 131269, if you would like to have you say. Uh, I've got a couple of emails coming through MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com, which I'll read out soon as well. And if you want to send us a text, the text line is open for Marcus Paul in the morning, 0458 049 209. Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, surprise, surprise, the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Analysis done by an inquiry chair. MP David Shoebridge has revealed all this new information. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's not about politics for me. It's not Beradick Lee and Obaralaro's money. No. We expect our money to be shared equitably across the state of New South Wales. Marcus, in accordance with need in accordance with where it's most needed. And that's why I pushed to establish this inquiry. You know, it's a committee that I chair. It's called the Public Accountability Committee. How did a, you know, large uh, multinational timber company get 10 million bucks? Bushfire-related funds. We'll be asking this question. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, good morning and welcome back to the program. Hello, if you're just joining us for the first time. It is a Tuesday. It is February the 2nd, 2021. It's great to have your company. Partly cloudy today for Sydney. Maybe some showers becoming less likely this afternoon. Tip, uh, tops around 24 degrees. Good morning to two EL listeners in Orange and those catching us in Bathurst as well. Partly cloudy today for you with a high chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm. Tops of only 22 degrees for the central west. And hello to Port Macquarie listeners and those up in Coffs Harbour as well on 2HC. Partly cloudy for you. High chance of showers and maybe a thunderstorm, possibly severe with possible heavy falls this afternoon up along the mid-north coast. Just drive to the conditions and take it nice and easy. On the program this morning, Andrew Lee, he'll be joining us talking about JobKeeper. Yesterday, the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, basically turned around and said the opposition's campaign to have big business return excess JobKeeper payments as, quote-unquote, the politics of envy. So that's on the way. Michael West has written a great piece on political donations. We'll catch up with Michael on the program after 8 o'clock this morning. And as usual, on a Tuesday, Senator Pauline Hanson is on the way. Now, Pauline, interestingly, I saw I see the last 24 hours or so on social media, Pauline's come out and said that, well, Scott Morrison shouldn't rush into an election this year. She's warning the Prime Minister, don't rush to an election. I wonder why that is. Is that maybe because Pauline and One Nation haven't got their house in order yet? Maybe they think they need to buy time as well. I'm not quite sure. We'll talk about it soon. Uh, that's on the way with Pauline. She'll be on just after a quarter past eight this morning. Uh, we'll try and talk tech as well this morning on the program with Trevor Long. No, no Trevor today. No? What are you shaking your head for? Hey, no Trev today. What are you doing out there, Scruff? Come and say hi. We haven't spoken much to you so far this year, Justin. Before we go to Daniel Mookie. How are you, young Scruff? What's I'm going on? I'm all right. Uh, Trevor. Mm-hmm. Has had a better offer. He's uh, doing a film uh, or filming something today for his uh, his website, so he oh, can't okay. do it today. For EFTM. Yes. So we'll grab we'll grab him maybe tomorrow. later in the week. Yes. Okay. Yes. Well, we better. I hope so. Come on. He's Trev. a busy man, Trevor. Well, I understand <laughs> that, but come on, Trev, you made a commitment. He's a lucky man. He's 
checking out all that new technology. Yeah, well, no doubt he'll have some wonderful tech uh, details for us a little later in the week. So thanks to EFTM, we'll catch up with Trev at some point. Yes. Fingers crossed. Okay, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Daniel Mookie is Shadow Minister for Finance. He joins us on the program quite often. Daniel, good morning to you, mate. Are you there, Dan? Morning, how are you going? Yeah, good, thank you, mate. What's going on? You you well? Yeah, well, how about yourself? Yeah, we're, we're back into it, Dan. We're, we're back into it, mate, because uh, we've got our breakfast show back. We're not doing the longer shift, so uh, we're focusing on, in particular, issues in New South Wales. Now, you say the Berejiklian government should consider offering vehicle registration and CTP relief for small businesses in the transport industry as they struggle to survive the COVID-19 lock, uh, turn down, downturn, even. Yes. So let me tell you a story why. Um, yeah. I, uh, last week... Uh, met with a group of minibus owners and these are people who get most of their work from international airport tra- transports and cruise trips and you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that international travel and the cruising industry will be amongst the very last to come back online yeah, when we get out of this pandemic mm. and what these minibus telling me is that they can't afford the $10,000 in CTP premiums and vehicle registration charges that they have to pay every year just to make sure that their bus is available so if the call comes they can actually pick up the work. Effectively they have to fork out $10,000 just for the chance to earn one. And I don't think that's fair. And I worry a lot, especially with JobKeeper coming to an end, that there's going to be a wave of these closures Mm. as a whole bunch of these businesses get their CTP bills and conclude that they just can't afford it. I mean, look at it here. Too many tradies, truckers and minibus owners will hit the wall unless they get more help with their rego fees and CTP premiums. The Berejiklian government should be doing everything in its power to support small businesses struggling to survive this recession. Uh, so 10 grand, roughly, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what they're all paying. A minibus owner said that if he has to pay over $10,000 in CTP premiums and rego charges, he'll simply have to shut down because there's not enough work. Yeah, I mean, for these businesses, uh, their vehicle is a tool of trade. And the way in which the, the charges structure works is that that's what it costs to just be able to use their tool. And it's getting worse and worse when you understand how many of these businesses are having to pay in tolls as well. Because as tolls go up, profit margins go down, mm. and there's less money that's there to be able to put aside to pay CTP. So I think that the imperative here in the Berejiklian government clear it's, it's offer some form of a rebate scheme offer some form of a relief scheme for ctp and vehicle registration charges for so many of these businesses yeah. ctp premiums and rego relief is the difference between staying in business and having a chance to rebuild or otherwise having to shut down and close their doors well, I think it makes sense. I mean, I understand it'll be a bit of a, a hit to the government's hip pocket uh, or to taxpayer consolidated revenue. But, I mean, isn't that better than losing all of these small businesses? Well, the way I put it is, is that um, a 12-month investment right now by the state government will give this government, uh, will give these businesses a chance to survive, which means in the long term it's better off for taxpayers. I mean, I, I, I prefer to sort of... 
uh, invest a bit of money in keeping these businesses alive and shepherding them to the other side of the pandemic rather than shutting them down and causing the people to have to claim unemployment benefits. Yeah. I mean, we've got to be pragmatic here. Of mm. course, you're right. We can't give permanent waivers. We can't sort of permanently remove the requirement around CTP premiums. We can say for the next 12 months, as we wait for international air travel to resume, as we wait for the cruising industry to get back on its feet. Yeah. But yeah, we are going to help these businesses so to make sure they get to the other side of it. And it's not just those that are minibus operators, it's tradies as well. It's a lot of people who are suffering a downturn in their business for whom in normal times the CTP premium is just the ordinary cost of doing business. That's right. But right now, it's just so hard to find the money to make that payment. I mean, if you happen to be a person who needs a ute to travel, you've got to pay a commercial CTP. If you, if you need a ute on your job, um, you pay too. And so it, it's common sense here. Just offer a bit of relief for the next sort of six to 12 months to make sure that these businesses uh, are around for the upturn that we're told is coming. Well, it makes sense. So many small businesses in the transport industry are facing our slowest recovery. And to be honest, why should the government charge them fees while their vehicles sit idle in a garage somewhere? Yeah, I I mean, there's a lot of owner-drivers in the trucking industry who aren't getting the work that they once did before, who have no choice but to to put the vehicle aside. And, of course, there are a lot, a lot of taxi owners and taxi licence plate owners Mm. who've been forced to put their vehicles literally on the side of the road uh, because there's no work going. And so it makes no sense for the government to try to collect a rego fee on a vehicle that's not working. All that means is effectively yeah. the government is picking the pockets of these vehicle owners. All right, I spoke to your colleague John Graham about this yesterday, Shadow, Tro- uh, Shadow Roads Minister, but a uh, story over the weekend surfaced that uh, perhaps uh, the Transport Minister has hinted that we may well see a new toll, if you like, come the 31st of August next year on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel. Now, we know the Harbour Tunnel toll is supposed to come to an abrupt end at the end of uh, of next year, or August, if you like, but um, Constance, Andrew Constance, has hinted that the toll may go still continue to pay for other road infrastructure. I don't, I'm not quite sure, sure how all this works. I mean, why are we going to continually punish Sydney drivers with a new toll on the Sydney Harbour Tunnel, a thing that's been paid off and then some, just so they can flog off further uh, roads to private enterprise. I just don't get it. I, I can't see the logic in that. Oh, it's a good question, uh, and it's a good point you're making there, Marcus, as well. And you would expect that the Minister for Transport could be straight with the people here about what exactly is his intention. Because it seems like uh, he's preparing the ground to permanently keep this toll. And that's going to be tough for motorists and tougher for small businesses as well, who were told that that toll was coming off. Yeah. I think the Minister Constance needs to be straight with the public here. I think in general the principle is, is that if, you know, the, the government charges tolls for new roads. It looks like this government is keeping this toll permanently for an old road, despite taxpayers having paid it off and road users having paid it off now over 25 years. I think people are entitled to better than that. Is there a worry that a toll may be placed on the Sydney Harbour Bridge and Sydney Harbour Tunnel heading northbound at some point? Oh, you there, Daniel? Are you there, Marcus? Yeah, sorry, mate, you dropped out for a sec. Yeah, so the question was uh, that 
we know back in 2017, the government hinted that there could well be another toll on the Sydney Harbour Bridge and the Sydney Harbour Tunnel heading northbound. We know right at the moment there's no toll for for travellers who are travelling toward North Sydney. Yeah, well, there's a lot of talk now that the government is going to be putting a two-way trial on the Harbour Bridge, mm. and uh, that will be used to pay for the very expensive promise to build the Western Harbour Tunnel on the North Yeah, Uh, that phone's no good, Daniel, but I get the gist of what he's saying. So basically they need somehow to pay for this next harbour crossing, the the Northern Beaches Tunnel, and further road infrastructure again. I worry uh, how we're going to afford all of this. Tolls go up by, on average, 4% a year. What's the inflation rate? Much less than that. Real wages have been stagnant now for how long? And yet the toll imposition on motorists, in Sydney in particular, continues to, st- to grow. It's incredible. 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. 18 after 6, Marcus Paul in the morning. Prime Minister Scott Morrison outlined his economic plan. Of course, relying heavily on a COVID-19 vaccine for 2021. I'll play a bit of that audio from ScoMo's press conference and his discussion at the press club yesterday in Canberra. Right now, Chris is on the open line. G'day, Chris. How are you, mate? All right, thank you, mate. What's going on? Um, Look, I just wanted to have a word about Google, actually. Google? Google, yes. Um... There's a bit of a stouse going on between the Australian government and Google, and Google are threatening to pull out of Australia. Yeah. Now, I'm not a tech-savvy or anything like that, but I don't know of anything else that actually can replace Google for, for us ordinary people. Oh, there are plenty of others, mate. There are plenty of other search engines. They're not as big as Google or perhaps not as popular or as well-known. If Google go, don't worry, the sky won't cave in. Um, oh, there are plenty that, of other that, options. That that's wonderful, and I just wanted to say something about Donald Trump. Oh yes, forgotten about him. Who's he again? Yeah, I know, but unfortunately, <laughs> I, I thought of this yesterday. Actually, yeah, Donald Trump and the coronavirus—they've got something in common. Tell me, they've both got the capacity to mutate and become an annoyance again. Well, well said, absolutely. Uh, look, I don't know what's happening with Trumpy. We haven't heard a lot lately, but is he still about to be impeached? Uh, well, you know. <laughs> Of course he's been impeached, but what's to make of it all? I don't know. I think he's got other issues in relation to his business interests and isn't he being chased for money left, right and centre? Anyway, uh, the, the less we talk about Donald Trump in the future, I think the better. Uh, Prime Minister Scott Morrison said yesterday, we've all learnt a lot over the past 12 months and we must take these lessons into 2021 and continue to make our Australian way through this crisis. Yesterday, 
ScoMo outlined five priority areas that his government will be focused on for this year. He says there's still so much to do, but we know our comeback is underway and gathering pace. Uh, The actions we take this year will continue to recover what has been lost and enable Australians to build again for the future. Here's a little of what ScoMo had to say yesterday. Hang on there, I'll make sure I've got it turned on here. Yeah, so the Prime Minister yesterday, this is at the uh, the press club during his speech. In 2021, I'm supremely confident and optimistic that we will continue as a people to make our own Australian way through the challenges ahead and that Australians will once again merge stronger, safer and together on the other side. There are five priorities, areas that I want to speak about today in relation to 2021. First of those, suppress the virus and deliver the vaccine. Secondly, cement our economic recovery to create jobs and more jobs. Three, to continue to guarantee the essential services that Australians rely on. Fourthly, to protect and secure Australians' interests in a challenging world. And finally, to care for our country. Our Australian way depends most of all on the character and resilience of Australians. Okay, that's enough. Stronger, safer, together. I mean, what's this bloke doing? Putting together a bloody marketing catalogue or something. All right, uh, he refused, of course, to uh, have a crack at Craig Kelly. I don't know what Craig... Maybe Craig's got some photos or something of Scott Morrison. Maybe at Macca's Engadine. I'm, I'm not quite sure. I don't know. But with the looming vaccine rollout a key focus, the Prime Minister was asked whether the government was wasting our money by embarking on this $24 million public information campaign, which, by the way, I agree with. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, he's got one of his key ministers, one of the high people within his own government, spruiking BS on social media. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, I mean, (laughs) Craig Kelly is intent on publishing false claims on social media or misinformation. At the same time, the government is spending our taxpayer dollars on a campaign talking about the vaccines that have been approved. So we sidestepped the question, highlighting his reluctance to rebuke government MPs spreading misinformation about COVID-19 treatments and vaccines by declaring Craig Kelly, quote-unquote, is not my doctor. For God's sake, is that the best you can do? What about stronger, safer together, Scott? How on earth can we be stronger and safer together when you continue to allow this Craig Kelly to spruik BS on social media to his hundred odd thousand followers who then share it on to others, etc.? It's dangerous. He's dangerous. And you're doing Australians a disservice by not calling him out on it. From Taree to the Tweed. Coffee in the morning. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now. 13 12 69. Yeah, give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind at 24 minutes away from 7. 13 12 69 and 2smsupernetwork.com for your emails. And if you want to send us a text this morning, 0458-049209. Andrew Lee, MP, will join us after 7 o'clock this morning. Michael West as well, independent journo. 
Uh, talking about political donations, and after 8.15, Senator Pauline Hanson will go to Canberra as well with Christina in the capital. Uh, Di will drop by, our Queen Bee of the newsroom. But we'd love to hear from you as well, 13 12 69. Look, one thing we are going to do on the program this year is uh, include some regional stories uh, in the content of the program for my listeners in the Central West, around Orange and Bathurst, and also for those on the Mid-North Coast. So I thought this morning we'd start with just a couple of headlines from Orange. Uh, raising Wyangla Dam wall by 10 metres could cost more than $2 billion. The Department of Planning, Industry and Environment documents, which have been seen by Australian Community Media, suggest that this will be the cost, $2 billion bucks. That's how much it'll cost if you raise Wyangla Dam by 10 metres. And that's despite previous government estimates having the cost sitting at around $650 million. It's a big difference, isn't there? Water New South Wales, who are responsible for overseeing operations at Wyangla and its proposed expansion, would this week not be drawn on projected costs, saying they would be included in the final business case, which is expected later this year. I wonder whether the raising of Wyangla Dam will become a political hot potato as much as the raising of the Warragamba Dam is for those in Sydney. The cost estimated in DPIE documents would be uh, to physically extend the wall and does not take into account damage to downstream water users nor the economy during its estimated four-year construction. Extending the dam wall by 10 metres would result in around 21 gigalitres more water being available in an average year. An independent engineer's report lodged last Monday with a current state government upper house inquiry into water infrastructure details projected operations needed to enlarge the dam. So if the engineers and basically everybody who knows about these issues are saying the dam needs to be enlarged, well, then I think the government needs to get back and perhaps relook at its sums. Up in Port Macquarie, dental experts have urged Port Macquarie Hastings Council not to go ahead with a community poll about water fluoridation. Voters will take part in the community poll to gauge opinion on water fluoridation in conjunction with the September local government election. Australian Dental Association New South Wales President Dr Kathleen Matthews said water fluoridation uh, was the safest and most equitable way to improve oral health in the community. We have it here in Sydney. We would feel very distressed if the council wanted to remove fluoride as a result of a community poll. Well, give me a call. If you're up there in the Port Macquarie, Hastings region, I'd love to hear from you this morning, 13 12 69. What do you say to this? Look, a community poll has a $66,000 cost estimates. So is that money you would like your local government, the council, to spend on such an issue, or perhaps should it just be left well enough alone? If you're up there in the Port Macquarie Hastings region, give me a call on this 13 12 69. All right, now we heard from the Prime Minister Scott Morrison just before our 6.30 news. Uh, let's see what Albo had to say in response. Well, Labor says the federal government has its priorities all wrong. 
arguing that many companies received JobKeeper that didn't need it, while many struggling industries, like the arts and entertainment industry, were excluded from the subsidy scheme. Albo yesterday said it's time to stop the waste in the rollout of some of the JobKeeper programs. A whole lot of companies received JobKeeper who actually not only didn't get a downturn in their revenues, they actually got an increase in their profits and paid big bonuses to their executives. Yeah, I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, with Andrew Lee, who's been on the attack on these JobKeeper payments now for quite some time, and he's been on the program uh, saying that some companies are doing the right thing by repaying this money. I mean, why aren't the government chasing them? I don't understand. I mean, the federal government chased alleged overpayments in its robo-debt scheme, but it seems that same courtesy is not being extended to big business. Why not? Unbelievable. I guess they're, you know, not without means, and they can probably fight the government on any you know, uh, court action or any uh, please pay demands. Not quite sure. Uh, all right, here's what uh, Anthony Albanese had to say yesterday after the prime. Well, in response to the prime minister's announcement of his five five key policy areas for 2021 to return our economy back to normal post COVID 19. Let's hope, and of course, it's all determined on the vaccination rollout. Anyway, here's what Albo had to say. Good to be back. Looking forward to Parliament sitting uh, for the first sitting week of 2021. I'm looking forward to holding the government to account, but also uh, to uh, continue the rollout of a Labor agenda, the alternative that will be put into the Australian people whenever the election's held, whether it's 2022 when it's due, or if the Prime Minister decides he doesn't have confidence in his own capacity to actually last a three-year term, uh, then sometime later this year. Happy to take questions. Well, I'll tell you what it's time for. It's time for the government to stop sports rorts. It's time for the government to stop spending taxpayers' money on the Liberal and National parties. It's time for the government to stop spending a billion dollars on party political advertising. I mean, funding the Liberal Party pollsters to do research that we don't get to see, even though taxpayers have paid for it. Yeah. And it's also time to stop the waste in the rollout of some of the government programs. Take JobKeeper. What we know is that a whole lot of companies received JobKeeper who actually not only didn't get a downturn in their revenues, they actually got an increase in their profits and paid big bonuses to executives. Yeah, so uh, that's effectively what Albo said in response to the Prime Minister's five-point plan in his speech at the Press Club yesterday. What do you make of it? 13, 12, 69. We'll talk more on the JobKeeper overpayments. I mean, there was so much discussion about robo-debt and so-called overpayments by Australians right across the country who were hounded and chased for these so-called overpayments and these de- this illegal, this illegal debt recovery system. It seems the federal government, and I'll talk more with this on it with Andrew Lee, but it seems the federal government are reluctant to go as hard on chasing up big business who have been able to, you know, not only make a profit but pay their executive salaries and big bonuses during the COVID-19 pandemic. Why aren't they repaying the money? Well, some of them are. 
to be fair, some of them are, and that's wonderful, and we should applaud and support them for doing so, because I think that's the Australian way of doing things, and that's the moral way you should be conducting business. But there are plenty of others who are still refusing to repay the money. My question would be to Scott Morrison, if he ever came on this program, is why aren't you chasing them, ScoMo? Why aren't you going as hard on them as you did during the robo-debt scandal? Silence would be deafening. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Well, Prince Harry, I see, has successfully sued a British newspaper over allegations he turned his back on the military when he entered his royal role. Uh, these tabloids in the United Kingdom never seem to learn, do they? I mean, could you imagine for a moment how much compensation... <laughs> imagine what their uh, compo premiums would be each and every year. The Duke will receive an apology and substantial damages from publishers of the Mail newspaper. Uh, the good news is, though, that he'll put that money to good use. Prince Harry will donate all damages, all the money he receives, to the Invictus Games, which is wonderful. I think that's great. More of it, I say. More slander and scandal and allegations against the uh, royal family so they can donate money to charity. Goodness knows that the tabloid papers and the trashy ones, and they're very trashy in the UK, goodness knows they probably donate don't donate to charity. Well, I guess inadvertently they are now. No changes expected from today's Reserve Bank meeting. The cash rate is predicted to remain at 0.1%, but the RBA is expected to acknowledge the economic improvement. What does that mean? Well, not much really. AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver has told our newsroom the figure is unlikely to change anytime soon. Meantime, a court has heard former New South Wales Labor MPs conspired to reap the rewards of a coal exploration deal. The Crown has delivered its closing address in the case against Eddie O'Bede, his son, and that grub Ian MacDonald. Mr MacDonald allegedly caused a coal release area to be created in the Bylong Valley, located on Mr O'Bede's Cherrydale Park property. Corruption at its finest, and these people are serving time for it, as they damn well should. Corruption uh, has no political affiliation. Whether you're green, whether you're red or blue, Labor, Liberal, Calathumpian, I mean, I'm not concerned. All I want is public money being spent in an accountable and, I guess, fair and equitable way. A new survey has found Australian parents are personalising just about everything in their children's lives. However, it found a major gap when it comes to learning and education. While parents agree clothing, toys and hairstyles should reflect their child's personality, (laughs) nearly 9 in 10, 88%, feel their child could do more individualised, could do with rather, more individualised attention at school. Dr Selena Samuels from Cluey Learning, C-L-U-E-Y, Cluey Learning, says now is a good time to assess a child's learning needs and provide them with personalised support. Oh, I see. This is another one of those. Who the hell is Cluey Learning? Anyway, this is another one of those PR memos that have popped into the newsroom. (laughs) 
And how, how, Chloe Learning, how do you propose that teachers, of which there's a shortage, shortage of, provide more individual personalised attention to students, of which there are too many in so many classrooms, because the government won't build new schools, particularly here in New South Wales? Boy, oh boy, some people just justify their jobs, don't they, with this rubbish. It's more PRBS. How about being a little bit more constructive? I mean, yes, but offer solutions rather than just comments like, oh, well, you know, children could do with more personalised attention. No kidding! How are we going to do it? How about you put pressure on the state government and ask them to ensure there are more teachers in our classrooms or more teachers' aides or perhaps more classrooms? (laughs) so that we can get less kids in the one room so that there may be more personalised attention. I mean, I don't mean to be cynical, but, I mean, really, who are these PR people who send all this guff into newsrooms day in, day out? I just don't... I don't understand. Offering plenty of, of advice, but... Sweet FA in solutions. Uh, now, a new national survey shows many junior doctors are bullied at work. Junior docs, really? A fifth of respondents reported personally experiencing either bullying, harassment, or discrimination in their workplace. 15% had witnessed these incidents, but 76% of those people did not report incidents to their superiors. So, In other words, there's a whole heap of bullying going on and nobody's doing a damn thing about it. Medical Board of Australia Chair Dr Anne Tonkin says the culture of medicine needs to be improved. The survey also revealed most junior doctors are overworked, tick, and underpaid, tick. Well, for God's sake, if junior doctors are overworked and underpaid, what the hell are nurses? I mean, I'm sure junior docs earn a a fair more dollars than what nurses do. And, God, imagine being a junior nurse, for goodness sake. That'd be even worse. Anyway, I'm not making light of it. it. It is concerning. This survey shows many junior doctors are bullied in our state's hospitals. The Shadow Minister for Health, Ryan Park, has written to Brad Hazard with constructive proposals to ensure a safe and effective rollouts across New South Wales of the COVID-19 vaccine. I'll give you some details on that story. Andrew Lee joins us after the news at 7 o'clock next as well. Coffee in the morning. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. All right, welcome back. Uh, good morning if you're just joining us for the first time. On this Tuesday, it is February the 2nd. Sydney, 24 degrees, partly cloudy, maybe a shower or two. Less likely later this afternoon. Uh, for my listeners in Bathurst and Orange in the central west of New South Wales, partly cloudy today for you. High chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm, tops of 22. And hello there up there at Port Macquarie in Coffs Harbour. Tops of 25 degrees, so a little warmer. But again, the high chance of showers and the chance of a thunderstorm possibly severe with possible heavy falls this afternoon and tonight. All right, that's the latest weather across the Super Radio Network stations taking the program this morning. Well, job keeper or bonus keeper. 
I think Bonus Keeper is what my next guest has dubbed it as, and he's done some magnificent work. Although, the Prime Minister yesterday, I see, basically turned around and said that, well, he's playing politics with this issue. Well, certainly, the federal opposition is. Andrew Lee, Dr Andrew Lee, is a regular on the program each and every Tuesday. Good morning, Andrew. How are you, mate? Good morning, Marcus. Fighting fit. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Or well, you'll need to be because apparently, according to the Prime Minister, who's dismissed uh, your concerns, you're simply playing the politics of envy, quote-unquote. Nothing like having cliches thrown at you by a former ad man, is there, Marcus? <laughs> so, I mean, the fact is that uh, uh, the Prime Minister designed robo-debt to harass people on welfare uh, and then... When people ask reasonable questions about why JobKeeper is going to millionaire CEOs or billionaire shareholders, uh, he dismisses them with the oldest cliche in the book. Now, the fact is, this is about fairness and decency. It's about making sure that taxpayer dollars are spent where they need to, where they need to go mm. uh, at a time when we're facing a recession and a pandemic. Stronger, safer, together were the catchphrases yesterday of the marketing spiel and spin at the National Press Club by the Prime Minister. I mean, I'm surprised people managed to actually keep their lunch down yesterday in Canberra upon hearing this, uh, considering uh, he's come up with this so-called dismissive tone of politics of envy. I mean, again, it would appear that obviously it's, you know, one rule for big business and one rule for the rest of Australia. We know how many people uh, were affected by it. Well, I don't know the exact figure, but robo-debt, as you uh, quite rightly bring up, where Australians were illegally chased for debts they didn't even owe, and yet the government doesn't seem to want to clamp down on big business, who obviously uh, are still doing quite well despite the pandemic, paying big bonuses, etc., but not repaying Australian taxpayers the JobKeeper payments they've been propped up with. That's right, Marcus. And of course, it's just the latest litany in expensive scandals that have uh, come out of the government. So we've had uh, sports rorts, we've had the Leffington Triangle, uh, we've had uh, checks going out to uh, people who died as a result of the JobKeeper program. There's been huge waste and mismanagement under the government, uh, and that's extended right through to the vaccine rollout program. Uh, right now, around the world, there are about 4 million people a day being vaccinated. Uh, and yet Australia isn't at the front of the queue, as Scott Morrison claimed. Uh, we are yet to start. Uh, this bloke is all gab, no jab. The fact is, we need vaccinations going in the country, not an ad man's spin about how maybe one day in the future we'll get there. I don't know, mate. You might get a job at a PR company with that one. What was it? All gab and no jab? <laughs> well, it's not much good inventing a vaccine if you're not putting it in people's arms, Mark. I mean, this isn't just health policy. This is economic policy. Mm. Uh, the economy can't reopen until the place is vaccinated. Uh, if you look to Israel right now, you've got half the population already vaccinated. If you look to Britain and the United States, you've got about a tenth of the population vaccinated. Other countries are moving very fast in this vaccine rollout, and we're moving very slowly. Uh, now, thankfully, the pandemic hasn't been as severe here as it has been in other places. But until the vac vaccine uh, is, uh, is deployed in Australia, uh, we don't get the tourism sector back, we don't get the retail, the, uh, the hospitality sector back. Uh, all those in-person services rely on a rapid vaccine rollout. And we've got one of the slowest vaccine rollouts in the advanced world.
Yeah. Look, uh, just a question without notice, Andrew. I know you're pretty good at answering these. There's been a little bit of a, a furor over a commercial uh, which has been dubbed as violence, a violence union ad attacking the federal government's industrial relations reforms has been slammed as a quote-unquote new low in Australian politics by Attorney General Christian Porter. Mr Porter said the ad which depicts a bus about to hit a group of workers was insensitive and disgusting. But the Construction, Forestry, Maritime, Mining, Energy Union, CFMEU and the Electrical Trades Union have declared it will not be taken down. Do you have a view on this? Marcus, I haven't seen the ad. Oh, but the okay. fact is that <laughs> the, 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 government, the, government, the government is uh, wants everything to be about the ad campaign. Uh, what they don't want people to be talking about is the fact that they're introducing uh, a bill which will cut workers' pay and conditions. Uh, they, they don't want to be talking about the fact that their own measures are going to ensure that people are earning less. Uh, in that we've, before the, before the uh, pandemic hit, we already had incredibly slow wage growth. We we're already seeing families really struggling to make ends meet as a result of the fact that their pay packets had basically stopped growing. Uh, and so the government would love to have any distraction from that. Uh, and I think that's exactly what they're, what they're doing with this campaign here. All right, Albo yesterday responded to the Prime Minister's uh, five-point plan for 2021. Uh, and he seems to have uh, upped his rhetoric. Um, are, you, are you thinking we might go to the polls this year? Do you think ScoMo may trigger an early election? I know I've got a guest coming on later who's warning him against it in Pauline Hanson. I mean, she's an independent well, from One Nation. Basically, she's saying uh, the Prime Minister might be in trouble. We know that it's 50-50 at the moment. Well, it'd be, it'd be the uh, coward's way out. Fact is, government should serve their full term. They should uh, uh, go to the Australian people and uh, spend three years uh, we're going, implementing their agenda. Anytime he wants to go to the polls, we're re- ready to go. But if you look around the world, a three-year election term is, is pretty short. Uh, it's shorter than we've got in all the states and territories right now. And if you cut that down even shorter and you go in, uh, in two years... Uh, then that's more expensive for the, for the Australian people. Uh, governments ought to serve, serve their, uh, their term. I'm a bit of a constitutional traditionalist on that, uh, even though, of course, I would, uh, would love to have the opportunity to uh, uh, be fixing up some of the messes that the government's uh, making at the moment. Yeah, you'd make a half-decent uh, treasurer, I think, Andrew. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, the bloke we got I at think the moment... Jim, Jim Chalmers is doing a fantastic job as our, as our uh, shadow treasurer, and I'm uh, working hard to make sure that we can take the shadow out in front of his name. All right. Well, you and Jim together, uh, I think, would do a great job. I mean, Josh Frydenberg, again, he's like a deer in the headlights. Why on earth is he buying into this Google stoush uh, with some of the major media companies? It concerns me, Andrew. It really does. I would have thought Josh's main concern would should be the economy. Why is he speaking to Facebook? Why is he taking meetings with, uh, you know, allegedly with Google executives? Why is he getting in the way of this? I don't quite understand. Shouldn't that be the job of the communications minister, if anybody? Yeah, it is a bit strange that he's, uh, he's got, uh, got time to be engaging in this when uh, we've got uh, the economy really struggling along. Uh, there's some sectors that are, uh, that, are, that are doing well, but if you look at uh, tourism uh, in uh, North Queensland, mm. uh, it's, uh, it's really, really doing it tough. You look at the university sector, there's firings left, right and centre at a time when we ought to be uh, encouraging more people back to be learning. Uh, and if you look at the, uh, the arts sector, it's, uh, it's really, uh, re- really on its knees right now. So I'd love it if there was more attention coming from the Treasurer into the, the struggling bits of the economy. 
Uh, as we've talked about, Marcus, uh, billionaires are doing very well. Their wealth is up 50% over the last year. Uh, battlers, not so well. Mm. All right. Always good to have you on the program, Andrew. We'll talk next week. Appreciate it. Thanks, Marcus. Look forward to it. All right. There he is, Andrew Lee, uh, MP, who joins us each and every Tuesday on Marcus Paul in the morning. Give me a call, 13 12 69, if you would like to have you say some sad news this morning. Coming out of the United States of America with legendary singer uh, and his wonderful Tony Bennett. Uh, apparently he's confirmed that he's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Let's hope uh, that he fights and that he remains as healthy as he possibly can be. I love Tony Bennett. I really do. 17 after 7. Uh, I remember actually watching a, a DVD not long ago where he made an appearance with Billy Joel at a concert. I think it's probably a decade or so old now, but uh, here's some of Tony's latest live work. Brilliant stuff. I'm in a New York state of mind. Ladies and gentlemen, Tony Bennett. Seen all the movie stars in their fancy cars and buildings. I don't want to waste more time I'm in a New York state of mind Yes! It was so easy living day by day Out of touch shot with the rhythm and blues Yeah, baby Now I need a little give and take New York Times The Daily News Oh, oh, oh. And you know it comes right down that's fine with me Cause I've let it slide Don't care If it's Chinatown Or up on Riverside I don't have any reasons I've left them all behind Tony Legendary singer Tony Bennett Unfortunately has Alzheimer's disease It was diagnosed back in 2016 According to a new profile in an American magazine At his neurologist's recommendation The 94-year-old continued to tour and record music After the initial diagnosis And because of music's peculiar power To rouse deep memories in dementia patients Audiences and critics never suspected his condition he continued to record and tour up until March of last year when the coronavirus pandemic ended live musical performance. Uh, since then, his condition has apparently worsened. His caregivers say that, you know, uh, they're looking after him as best they can, but he is 94. 
94 years of age, Tony Bennett. Let's hope he sticks around a fair while longer yet. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Okay, 24 and a half minutes after seven, Republicans who served in President George W. Bush's administration say the party is now, quote, a Donald Trump cult, unquote. Between 60 and 70 former Bush officials are believed to have left. Many members were disgusted by last month's riots at the U.S. Capitol. Trump will soon face an impeachment trial for allegedly inciting the insurrection. Uh, Look, I don't know. I really don't know uh, whether or not it's worthwhile spending the money to impeach him. Just let him meander off. Although I guess they do want uh, the impeachment to go ahead so this bloke can never, ever again set foot in the White House. 131269. And what do you make of that? Republicans say that the party is now a Donald Trump cult. (laughs) Well, that's true, probably. I mean, look at the leader of the so-called cult, Trump. Unbelievable. 131269, the telephone number to have you say. Marcus Paul in the morning. If you'd like to give us a call, we'd love to hear from you. Nearly 4,000 seniors in Orange in the state central west have benefited from the first year of the regional seniors travel card trial. This card, and I heard them talking about it yesterday on the John Law's Morning Show, this card is a $250 prepaid visa card designed to assist eligible seniors in rural, regional and remote areas of New South Wales to offset the cost of essential travel expenses. And it's an important investment and something I think that the New South Wales government has done extremely well in implementing. During the first year of the trial, Last year, 3,978 seniors across Orange and 1,361 in Gabon successfully applied for a card, providing $1,334,000 worth of value. Are you a senior? Have you used this travel card? And have you found it a worthwhile investment by the taxpayers of New South Wales? Well, I think it is. I think it absolutely is. Likewise, if you're up there at Port Macquarie, I don't have the stats on the Port Macquarie usage of the card and those in Coffs Harbour, perhaps. Let us know. 131269. Speaking of Port, Play for Jake was an awesome weekend to be a part of. The Port Macquarie Hastings community gathered to support local teenager Jake Spurdle, who suffers from bone cancer. Bron and Paul Watson organised three huge events, a golf day, a charity dinner and a wheelchair rugby challenge with all money raised to assist in the radical treatment of the disease. Uh, We had the South Sydney Rabbitoh legends apparently attending as well and they were looking at a target of around $100,000 to raise. So well done and also well done to Nico up there at Port who organised a lot of... We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. So you're very glad your own mother didn't have an abortion, aren't of course you? I, well, of course I am. What a stupid question to ask me. What are you trying to say then? Well, I'm Don't saying you. quite clearly, if you just listen, take your blinkers off for a moment, what I simply said was women do have the right in this country to abort a fetus if that's what they wish to do. Look, I'm sorry. <laughs> you're in the minority, Caroline.
Oh, am I? Yes, absolutely you are. I think you are. No, I think you are. That's the beauty again of living in a democracy. I simply don't agree. And because I'm pro-choice, if you like, and I believe that women should be able to make their decisions under the, uh, the current laws, does that mean I'm a bad person? And should I be abused like the way that woman rang and abused me? I don't believe so. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Welcome back to the program. Where is the love? 13 12 69, the telephone number to have you say. 23 minutes away from 8 o'clock, uh, should governments consider offering vehicle registration and CTP relief for small businesses in the transport industry as they struggle to survive the COVID-19 downturn? Well, that's the call from the New South Wales opposition amid fears that high tolls, CTP premiums and registration fees will soon force a wave of small businesses to close. One minibus owner has said that if he has to pay over $10,000 in CTP premiums and rego charges, he will have to close his business down. The suspension of international travel means he no longer earns enough revenue to cover his fixed costs. Shadow Minister for Finance and Small Business, Daniel Mookie, who was on the program earlier today, said conditions are dire, so many small businesses in the transport industry are facing Australia's slowest recovery. I, uh, last week, uh, met with a group of minibus owners, and these are people who get most of their work from international airport transports and cruise trips, and you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that international travel and the cruising industry will be amongst the very last to come back online yeah, when we get out of this pandemic. Mm. And what these minibus are telling me is that they can't afford the $10,000 in CTP premiums and vehicle registration charges that they have to pay every year just to make sure that they're bus is available so if the call comes they can actually pick up the work effectively they have to fork out ten thousand dollars just for the chance to earn Mm. one and i don't think that's fair and i worry a lot especially with job people coming to an end that there's going to be a wave of these closures Mm. as a whole bunch of these businesses get their ctp bills and conclude that they just can't afford it Yeah, that's uh, earlier this morning on the program, and we'll have a podcast up later of the entire chat on that issue. Also on the program not long ago, we caught up with Andrew Lee, who came up with a real clangor, uh, calling Prime Minister ScoMo, or Promo, all gab and no jab. (laughs) I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Around the world, there are about 4 million people a day being vaccinated. Uh, And yet Australia isn't at the front of the queue, as Scott Morrison claimed. Uh, We are yet to start. Uh, This bloke is all gab, no jab. The fact is, we need vaccinations going in the country, not an ad man's spin about how maybe one day in the future we'll get there. I don't know, mate. You might get a job at a PR company with that one. What was it? All gab and no jab? (laughs) Well, it's not much good inventing a vaccine if you're not putting it in people's arms, Mark. I mean, this isn't just health policy. This is economic policy. Mm. Uh, the economy can't reopen until the place is vaccinated. All right, so there uh, we go. Uh, Andrew Lee on the program this morning. Uh, all gab, no jab. It's pretty clever.
Genuine talk on the radio. Marcus Paul in the morning. $177 million state and federal bushfire relief fund, of which, surprise, surprise, the majority was allocated to coalition-held electorates. Analysis done by an inquiry chair, MP David Shoebridge, has revealed all this new information. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. It's not about politics for me. It's not Beredick Leonel Barilaro's money. We expect our money to be shared equitably across the state of New South Wales. Marcus, in accordance with need, in accordance with where it's most needed. And that's why I pushed to establish this inquiry. You know, it's a committee that I chair. It's called the Public Accountability Committee. How did a, you know, large uh, multinational timber company get 10 million bucks? Bushfire-related funds. We'll be asking this question. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah. Well, somebody's got to ask these questions. And what about Santos? Uh, the mob behind the Narrabri gas plant that's been approved by the federal government. They are political donors to the LNP, to the Liberal Party, to the tune of some 60000 dollars. Could be just coincidence. Sydney today, partly cloudy, tops of 24 degrees. Uh, chance of a shower or two less likely later. Bathurst and Orange, tops of 22 degrees. Again, showers, maybe some heavy falls later. And for the mid-north coast, Port Macquarie and Coffs Harbour, partly cloudy. High chance of showers, maybe a thunderstorm. It's possibly severe, they say, up there at Port and Coffs. Just take it easy up there on the roads, please. 25 degrees is your top today. Well, Attorney General Christian Porter has slammed a union advertisement about the government's industrial relations bill, which depicts Prime Minister Scott Morrison driving a bus toward workers as, quote-unquote, shameful. The CFMEU advertisement shows the PM driving a bus labelled the IR, that's Industrial Relations Omnibus Bill, toward a group of workers and smoking. I mean, he doesn't knock them over or anything, but... I don't know, is it the place of the Attorney-General to be speaking out like this? I can't recall an Attorney-General jumping up and down on Radio 2GB when, I don't know, its commentators were having a crack at a former Prime Minister. I mean, she just shrugged it off and basically said, you know, words to this effect, really. In the meantime, take your best shot. There we go. In the meantime, take your best shot. No whinging by an Attorney-General, nothing. I mean, Julia Gillard had more spine than that bloke. Absolutely. Imagine if the Australian Attorney-General intervened every time, I don't know, an Alan Jones, a Peter Credlin or a Tony Abbott attacked the witch, as I say, who calmly fobbed it off and offered that classic line in Australian politics. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, again, she had more spine than probably Morrison and the current Attorney-General combined. In the meantime, take your best shot. And get on with it. Absolutely well said. Oh, she's sweet but a psycho A little bit psycho At night she's screaming I'm on my mind, my mind Oh, she's hot but a psycho So left but she's right though At night she's screaming I'm on my mind, my mind She'll make you curse But see your blessing She'll rip your shirt
13 12 69 if you would like to have your say um, all right neil on the email marcus good morning what evidence do you have that proves the eminent people hey eh? oh, i'll just read it as you've written it mark uh, neil what evidence do you have that proves the eminent people that craig kelly quotes are wrong i've no idea what you're talking about neil but i think what you're trying to do is have a crack at me for having a crack at craig kelly and I think I'm justified in doing so because the bloke is an absolute lunatic spreading misinformation. And it's wrong. He shouldn't be doing it. That's it. 13, 12, 69. Um, do you want some more proof? <laughs> what about this? This is hilarious. As spreaders of misinformation are banned from social media, there's only one man you can turn to for reliable untruths. Craig Kelly. There has been complete abandonment reason. The most trusted man in lies is backing up every ill-conceived social media post and every awful conspiracy to his own website, craiganon.com. <laughs> For just $1 a week, you can get all the posts that Craig Kelly will soon be banned from posting publicly at craiganon.com, where he'll be posting anonymously under the nom de plume Craig Kelly MP. But how will you know it's Craig? Posts will be unhinged, misspelt and recycled from his Sky News rants. If you look at the peer-reviewed numbers, we're going to have pestilence and plague. The seven seas are going to sort of boil and rise. Because there's only one thing better than free speech, and that speech so free, it's untethered to reality. Sign up to craiganon.com because the cost of free speech should be $1 a week. Craiganon proceeds will go towards Craig Kelly's Senate run in 2021 so he can be a Craig upon both your houses. Marcus Paul morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, welcome back. It's 8 to 8. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. Well, the Prime Minister, of course, is facing increasing pressure to take stronger action on climate change. And he said yesterday in his five-point plan speech for 2021 that perhaps the Coalition will reach net zero carbon emissions as soon as possible. That is, preferably by 2050. Wow. 
It's a long time away. Anyway, he signalled his hope of announcing the target as policy before the next election, but he declined to commit to the goal in time for the United Nations Climate Summit in Glasgow, which happens later this year in November. Look, I suspect we'll be going to the polls by then anyway, so who knows what will happen. Um, ScoMo ruled out a carbon tax. (laughs) Really, that old chestnut? And he said the time frame of achieving net zero would depend on technology such as driving down the cost of clean energy from hydrogen. And on and on it goes. Opposition Treasury spokesman Jim Chalmers criticised the PM for playing, quote, party room politics over cleaner and cheaper energy and failing to commit to 2050, the date that is backed, of course, by, by federal labour. We know the uh, the government's current target is to cut emissions by 26 to 28% by 2030. But let's be honest, through the Paris Agreement and all the other agreements we've shirked on, we've basically bluffed our way there. I mean, remember that old clause, the midnight clause at 2am in the morning where we (laughs) effectively tried to scuttle a climate change summit by having put in the, the Australia clause? Yep. Anyway, no matter how you do the math, something does need to be done at some point, certainly, hopefully, before bloody 2050. Now on Marcus Paul in the Morning. The Queen Bee of the Newsroom, Diane Coveney-Garland. Morning, Dicey. Morning. Got you a little in early, a little this morning, because uh, after eight we got a couple of interviews. Michael West on political donations and Pauline Hanson. I'm just going to come out and say it, Di. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to get jabbed? Yes, I am. Oh, yep. okay. Mm. Yeah. In fact, can I say I had my first flu flu jab this year, first yeah. ever, just because I was at the doctor's and she said, oh, you know, it wouldn't hurt to get it. So I had it. Yeah. No side effects or anything, but yeah, I'll get it. Good. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I, the only reason I say it is because, you know, again, there's going to be dissenters out there and there's going to be a number of people who will, oh, you're not putting that in me. What is it? Look, I already know people like that who are saying, well, no, not until it's proven or till this or this or this. But unfortunately, they're generally the same people who refuse to vaccinate um, their children for, you know, their general mumps and chickenpox yep. and stuff. And look, I've had the chickenpox twice mm, on my fifth fun. birthday and then again Ooh. when I was in my 30s. And it's just really most unpleasant, yeah. even though doctors will tell you you can't technically mm. get chickenpox twice. And it was very unpleasant. So I... I am very much a, you know, get the vaccination in the in the hopes that it does actually prevent you from getting very, very ill. Well, as I've mentioned before on this program, if it wasn't for the polio injection, I wouldn't be here uh, because my father would have passed away. I mean, it saved yeah, his exactly. life. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And again, uh, those anti-vaxxers who are jumping up and down about it all, um, expect not to be able to travel overseas. Mm, exactly. Again, possibly. And look, there have been people that I've spoken to and they said, well, look, I'll get around that. I'll get mm. around that. I'll still travel. But I'd like to see how they get around it. Well, they'll possibly make up some sort of religious excuse. Mm. Uh, some, I mean, there will be some... Uh, you know, quid pro quos and, uh, you know, excuses that exactly. people may be able to use. But at the end of the day, uh, they may well be placing not only their own health, but the risks, uh, the health of other passengers Absolutely. at risk. I yep. don't know. Uh, unless, of course, I mean, I'd, I'd love to see how it all uh, pans out. We know that Qantas, uh, when 
international travel resumes. Alan Joyce is the first CEO of a major airline to come out saying that, you know, no jab, no fly. Mm Mm-hmm. Other airlines will probably follow suit. I dare say they will. And yeah. look, what's the difference between getting a COVID nineteen vaccination or a vaccination against some some horrible disease you might catch if you're holidaying in Africa or somewhere? Absolutely. Well, remember back in the day when people uh, had to get you know those needles and they were a series of needles, rubella and all that. Yeah. Sort of stuff. So, yeah. but they yep. they had sort of a big hole. Uh, it mm. looks like a kind of a hole in their arm. Yeah. But things aren't like that now it's a lot easier but yeah like if you're going i went to india and Mm, had to have all sorts of um, medications and needles before i could go it's just the way it is it'll probably be that for COVID 19 vaccines once uh, they're up and running and who knows i think it will probably start seeing people getting the vaccine essential workers those on the front line within the next few weeks die good to chat you too we'll hear you in the news just after nine o'clock when the king returns john laws after nine marcus paul in the morning now News next at eight. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us MP in the morning at 2SM Supernetwork.com. G'day, I'm Russell Crowe. In Australia, we're lucky. We live in a peaceful democracy with universal health care and BPAY. But others around the world aren't so fortunate. They live each day with no access to doctors, education, and are forced to drink filter coffee. Their cities are mired in civil unrest. Their people are threatened by local militia with poor fashion sense. And to make matters worse, they don't have sweet chilli sauce. They are Americans. But for just a dollar a day, you can sponsor an American. At Globe Vision's Adopt an American program, we'll pair you up with an American in need and we'll build cafes in their neighbourhood that serve non-processed food and flat whites. We'll send a doctor that will bulk bill and distribute pharmaceuticals that they won't have to sell their house to receive. And each month, you'll get a photo of your American and they'll send you a ballot for a vote that they wanted to cast but couldn't because they had an outstanding parking ticket or moved house on Thursday or some other obscure bullshit. So give an American some hope and a decent chance at a good espresso. It works. I've been part of the Australian Adopted Kiwi program and look at me. I'm Russell Crowe. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. All right, welcome back to the program. I've been looking forward to this chat uh, for days now. At seven minutes after eight, let's talk about political donations with Michael West from Michael West Media. Michael, hello, mate. Happy New Year to you. You too, Marcus. just want to start our conversation with this. Um, you and I quite often go against the grain of mainstream media there's a note here and this is uh this is very typical of the emails i get day in day out hi marcus it seems to me your program is an advertisement for the alp they want to be in power any they won't be in power anytime soon p.s how's the ratings kindest regard stuart now first and foremost i'd say to stuart we don't care about the ratings we don't take part in this silly outdated antiquated system but in any case the program is broadcast across all of new south wales not just sydney by the way perhaps our opposition down the road could be called something similar that is an ad for the lnp so what's the difference i mean labor will one day regain government and this will ensure that i maybe have a relationship with the prime minister to keep them accountable the pm and the new south wales premier refused to come on my program so by, you know, speaking to people like you and 
opposition members and perhaps fringe parties, that's the only way that I can keep them accountable because I would love to have Gladys Berejiklian on or the Prime Minister Scott Morrison and look at them, you know, look them dead in the eye if they would bother coming into the studio and ask them some of these hard questions about robo-debt, about political scandals, about why the Premier is still in office, for goodness sake, following her, you know, recent ICAC scandal, etc. It's difficult, Michael, it really is. Absolutely, yeah, Marcus, but there's not a lot of glory in this, in these, uh, in these uh, donations. The political donations, there's not much glory in those for Labor, because... Uh, they're pleased and applaud when it comes to accepting money from billionaires and large corporations, that is, the Liberal Party and the Labor Party. So it's once a year that we get this data dump, just once a year. Yeah. And uh, it gets fairly much ignored. It doesn't show the whole picture anyway. And yesterday, mm-hmm. Scott Morrison had timed a National Press Club lunch. Yep. So all the Canberra journalists uh, were all sipping Cabernet Sauvignon uh, <laughs> uh, while the... Uh, while we were trawling through the, the donations figures and listening to Scott talk about how marvellous things were, this is a real worry for Australia because the rising power of corporations over democracy is shown in these figures year after year. Yep. Um, it tripled in Australia between 2016 and 2019 elections, the amount of money donated. And when they call them donations, Marcus, I, I don't really agree with that term. For the first time, we decided to call them bribes. Well, I because agree. Because donation is something you give to the Sick Children's Fund uh, because you're donating from your heart to help somebody else. A bribe is something you give wanting something in return or expecting something in return or protection money so that some law doesn't change which uh, might not benefit your financial interests. So I think they're bribes. Um, they need to be banned at some point because they're getting so ubiquitous and so toxic. They're just polluting our democracy. Alright, well let's have a look at the story here. Uh, some great work done by not only yourself but your journos, Stephanie Tran, Callum Foots, and Luke Stacey. Total political donations for 2020 $168 million. Way down on the $434 million in the previous year, 2018-19. The Libs edged out Labor as the top recipient. Total donations for the Liberal Party, $57 million, Labor 55, the Nationals 12.4. Who on earth would want to, but somebody's donated to Clive Palmer. The Greens got 7.2, One Nation 5.8. Who are the biggest donors or bribers of our politicians, Michael? Well, Clive Palmer, as you know, he gave himself that $10 million. He gave his own party. (laughs) (laughs) So he is the biggest. (laughs) And it was to himself. Now, how this can be regarded as a tax-deductible donation (laughs) is anybody's guess. Only in Australia. Only in Australian politics. Although, (laughs) although didn't one Donald Trump uh, contribute to his own political party? I'm sure he did, obviously. Well, Malcolm Turnbull did, in fact. He he gave a lot of money to the Liberal Party um, in around about 2015 when he became PM. So it's not unprecedented, but Clive, it's locked down on the year before, but Clive... He's giving a lot of money to himself, and not, and he doesn't get a lot of votes for the no. Clive Palmer United Party. Not a good investment. Uh, but the figures being down is illusory in a sense, Marcus, because this isn't an election year, and what happens typically is they tend to really bulk up uh, in non-election years, and what happens also is that there are all these conduits, these sort of shadowy foundations 
like Labor Holdings, the Greenfields Foundation, Cormac Foundation, which are essentially laundries for money coming from other places that go through these conduits into the political parties. And so that's another thing that's going on. So they would be warehousing that money. If we assume uh, that there may be an election this year, we yep. say it would be a very big year for, for donations this year as, as all the corporations target what they want and go and say, look, I want this, here's your $100,000. All right, well, the Pokies lobby. Australian Hotels Association paid Labor $185,000-odd, Libs $6,300-odd, well, and the Nationals 40000 Only ninety-five grand was declared as donations on AEC detailed receipts. The rest of the donations were retrieved from the Australian Hotels Association's original return. I mean, so we got the Pokies lobby, but then, of course, we also have... Fossil Fuel, Chevron, a company that pays no tax here in Australia on its humongous multi-billion dollar income, but managed to find $92,000 to donate to the Nationals, Labor and the WA Libs to keep its heavily carbon-emitting WA operations in the good books. That's right. Well, this is the protection money, really. The the, the fossil fuels uh, is growing as a percentage of of the total because fossil fuels, of course, face a very uncertain future. Uh, well, particularly brown, uh, particularly uh, thermal coal, but gas as well. Gas is almost as emitting as that. So they know, the gas people, yeah. they know that it's not lasting forever, their party. In fact, they've had a very bad couple of years as it is. If you're an investor in gas shares, you would have done lost half your money. But um, basically, what we try to show here with some of this stuff is that you can't see it all. You can only see a, a, a fraction of the stuff going in here, and that's why they call a lot of the receipts other receipts rather than donations. There's sure. all sorts of flaws in the system. Mm. But just on the fossil fuels, because this is a main one, we've got Woodside, Santos, Rio Tinto, Peabody Energy, and BHP, in previous years, Origin, etc., and Shell and so on. These companies are, are huge donors, and you can see gas probably is the biggest sector of all. I haven't actually looked at the sector by sector. Yeah. Uh, just yet, but it would probably be the biggest because uh, they do face an uncertain future uh, because at the moment it's cheaper to produce renewable energy. Well, for now, probably for good. It's a lot cheaper to produce renewable energy, new renewable energy, than fossil fuel energy. This is the problem, and this is why renewable energy is taking off because it's cheaper to produce and it's clean. And so these guys know that, and so they are doing their darndest at the moment to really... You know, and, and we can see it from the government with its gas-fired transition, you know, its COVID commission, which says, oh, we're really going to invest in new gas plants yeah. uh, in order to, um, you know, secure Australia's energy future. But the problem, of course, is gas is expensive. Uh, so um, they, these guys are, are therefore very big donors. They need to get as much out of the taxpayers and governments and policy uh, as they can while um, they've still got a product to sell. Now, in your piece as well, billionaires are also amongst Australia's biggest donors. Anthony Pratt has donated $1.3 million to the Liberals, $250, a quarter of a million dollars to the Nats. There are others. Kerry Stokes, uh, he's given two hundred and sixteen grand to Labor, and on it goes. Gina Reinhart, uh, the Roberts family, and others. Yes, so... The billionaires, uh, or a lot of them, are significant donors, and we picked yeah. out a few of them here. Uh, it's interesting with Anthony Pratt. He's probably the biggest donor in Australia. 
the cardboard box king, uh, whose Vizzy Industries and Pratt Holdings, um, yeah, so 1.3 million, 1.5 million to the Nats and the Libs. Um, now, you look at this, and of course we can't make this direct accusation, but it, it's not a good look that Anthony Pratt was on a taxpayer-funded trip with Scott Morrison to visit Donald Trump uh, a year or so ago uh, and to set up operations in the US or another operation in the US, which we're not quite sure about the subsidy on that. But about a week ago, we uh, revealed a story here by Liz Minter, who yep. who found that there was a bushfire recovery fund. And this is for build, rebuilding, you know, broken townships infrastructure mm-hmm. after last year's bushfires. Uh, and we found that um, the Pratt-associated um, sort of companies got two grants of $10 million <laughs> each from the government from this bushfire recovery fund. What? Now, we, we, we could never quite piece together what that what his factories had to do with bushfire recovery funds. Perhaps there is a, a strong link. I'm not saying there isn't. Uh, but in any case, it would not hurt uh, to have donated a million dollars uh, to the people running the country and then then getting $20 million back for the people running the country. And we see this time and time again with yep. the billionaires. We see with Dick Honan's Manildra Group, you know, ethanol and fuel, that's... He's the big beneficiary from that. He's always been a huge donor, particularly to the Libs. Um, uh, Kerry Stokes Labor more, but it depends on what state things they're trying to get going. Depends at the moment. There's a Labor government in um, WA, for instance, Mark. Yes. And so you know, there's a bit of money there from Kerry to the WA Libs. I think Gina Reinhart, not as big as usual, quite small by her um, things. You have the there's a bunch of other billionaires, and of course sure. they enjoy a special exemption a lot of these people that nobody else enjoys they've got this thing called the grandfathering exemption which means Mm -hmm. they don't have to if you're part of a special group of 1000 companies you don't have to produce financial statements no in other words you don't pay tax a lot of it anyway well there's no direct correlation but there's a reason that you don't want anybody seeing you i'll say it mate i'll say it don't worry Uh, I mean, they, uh, everybody minimises their tax. We know the old saying from Kerry Packer, you're mad if you don't. But ultimately, a lot of these political donors, I would be very interested to know exactly what sort of return they are providing the Australian taxpayer for you know us allowing them effectively to do business in our country. Uh, a lot of them don't pay much tax at all. Very minimal. Well, in some cases, zero. Well, Pratt, in, in some years, his companies pay zero. In some years, zero. We're talking on billions of income, so it's a relative thing. Yeah. And there are years where they'll make bona fide losses because that's business. But, yeah, you, generally, Kerry Stokes is not a bad taxpayer to give Kerry Stokes his job. Mm. Uh, and some of these guys aren't. Kia Nielsen's on this list. Judith and Kia Nielsen, the, the people that... These sort of financial services billionaires behind Platinum Asset Management, and they are the biggest taxpayers in the country. All right, there you so go. It's not it's not a hard and fast sure. list, but it is a it's a fair bet that they're hiding something, and you've got to ask why are they on this list?
Michael, it's wonderful having you on the program. Let's uh, not wait too long before we speak again. I, as you know, I follow and enjoy your work, and quite often we use it on this program for content. I think it's important that as many people as possible uh, check out your work and the independent journalists that you have working for Michael West Media. Uh, it's great to get some unbiased and, uh, I guess, non-agended reporting uh, you know, outside of the mainstream, because unfortunately a lot of us continually are led astray by some of the very biased and very agended reporting across mainstream media. And Michael, it's great to have you on, mate. Uh, thanks for having me on, Marcus. Have a great day. Chat soon. There he is, Michael West from Michael West Media. We've got a link up to that wonderful piece they've all written. It's been a lot of work done on this. Uh, they do it each and every year, but I implore you to have a look. 2020 political donations. I mean, ultimately, our biggest political parties have shared in, well, what could be an astronomical figure. But if we just break it down to what's easy to understand, political donations, even though they were down from half a roughly half a billion dollars in 2018-2019. They were still pretty healthy last year despite the pandemic. $168 million. Libs uh, edged out Labor as the top recipient, so the Libs, $57 million. Probably makes sense considering they're in government. Labor, $55 million. The Nationals, 12.4. Clive Palmer, 10.2. And as Michael said, most of it's his own money. The Greens, $7.2 million. And One Nation, allegedly, apparently... I'll, I'll ask their leader in a moment. One Nation receiving $5.8 million in political donations during 2018-2019. And now on Marcus Paul in the Morning. Marcus has been absolutely fantastic to give me that platform to have a say on a lot of topics that I speak about. Pauline Hanson. Okay, 21 minutes after eight. Pauline, thank you for holding on. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Marcus. Don't worry about it. All right, now, uh, just on that issue, political donations, are they a necessary evil in our political system? No, I don't think we should actually have them from people because what you're doing is you're buying the vote. Legislation that comes forward, you know, you consider that. The tobacco company offered me $50,000 and they want the e six, and I said, I'm not interested, I don't want to take your money, and I refuse the $50,000. I support e-cigarettes. Yes. And that's what they're pushing for. But I don't believe that political parties should be taking donations. We get electoral funding back from the taxpayer. That's yes. why they brought in electoral funding to do away with these political donations. I think it's, it, corruption can happen. I think they're buying the votes of the politicians. I think it's wrong. All right, there we go. Uh, again, that's why we love getting on the program. You speak your mind and I appreciate it. So, Pauline, uh, what's been happening? Uh, we're getting back to, to business in the nation's capital. Uh, the Prime Minister outlaid his five-point plan yesterday to get our economy back on track. He's relying heavily, obviously, on Australians getting vaccinated. Uh, what do you make of, uh, uh, I guess, the, the kickstart of the political year yesterday by Scott Morrison? Well, look, um, if people want to have a vaccination, I think it's great. You know, that's a, a personal choice if people want to have it and if it will actually stop the closing down of our borders. But I believe, and I've spoken to you many times, 
I think a lot of these these premiers have used border closures as a political stunt. And here we see it again in Western Australia, um, no cases reported over a 24-hour period, yet they keep the borders closed down and people are locked away. And businesses are suffering. So we've seen businesses now that are looking at going under, especially in Queensland, where you're going to have a lot of businesses possibly go under well, and uh, border closures. So it is a real shame. But businesses close people lose their jobs. The government cannot keep supporting with JobKeeper and JobSeeker, which will come to an end at the end of next month. Yep. Now, they're going to push for the federal government to keep supporting that. We can't. We can't keep supporting it. You've got to pull the premiers into line. You can't close the borders on one case. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Well, I agree. Uh, I think it's been overreach, uh, certainly. Um, with WA's mob at the moment and in Queensland, and, and last week, what did you make of the comments of Anastasia Palaszczuk, who's basically now running to the government, hand out, saying, look, we're about to lose 200,000 jobs in far north Queensland and across uh, our, our uh, industry of tourism and hospitality. Can you extend JobKeeper for us? What do you say, Scott? You know, I mean, as if he's going to. Well, I won't be voting for it, so if they rely on my vote, but Labor will go along with it because they don't want to lose the vote. Queensland voted to support her. She got back in with an increased number in the, in the Parliament. The whole fact is we went to the election about crime that was happening up there and they voted everyone back, Labor seats back in, in Townsville with an increased majority. They weren't worried about the COVID. They weren't worried about businesses. And now she's screaming, we could lose these businesses. That yeah. was going to happen. So I don't feel um, sorry for her. Um, she's run the state into huge debt. Yep. That means lack of services. She won't be able to provide the services that people need for the everyday standard of living. Hospitals, schools, roads, all this. And uh, I just, people just... I get frustrated, Marcus. I, I really do. I the mentality of people is absolutely stupid. She's kept us safe. And that's the attitude of Western Australia. So anyway, All right. they're going to suffer. The boss of Queensland's police union has slammed the Gallery of Modern Art's defence of a piece of art that portrays violence against police as woke, tone-deaf virtue signalling. I'm having a look at it here. FTP. There's a police car that's on fire. Uh, this brightly painted motorcycle helmet bearing the slogan... If the police, I mean, is, seriously, is this being publicly viewed at the Gallery of Modern Art in Queensland? Yes, it's absolutely disgusting of what they have done there. You know, we actually, um, the police go through a hell of a lot. Yes. You know, they, any, any ridicule against them, they've actually suspended from it. Their families go through it. They do a wonderful job trying to keep us safe and the streets safe. You know, the Black Lives Matter, all that rubbish that went on, and, of course, they're saying now it's right to America. It doesn't. It is, it is an Australian police car. And then they come out, one fellow on my Facebook page, I've had over 4,000 comments on my Facebook yeah, page. I've seen it. One fellow came out and said, well, look, I bring them up to complain about it, mm. and he said their attitude is, oh, it's freedom of expression. Mm. Well, if we want freedom of expression in a painting to say that rubbish... And to ridicule, why have we got 18C? Why are we actually dragging people because they may say something verbally yep. that, that some people find it offensive or harassment? Why are they being dragged before the courts and we shut them down, yet we don't shut something down like that's taxpayer funded? Absolutely. Pauline, great to have you on the program. Look after yourself. We'll talk to you Thanks, next Marcus. week after the first week in Canberra. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Bye. One Nation leader Pauline Hanson on the program.
You'll hear more about this today. Um, there's news that a Brisbane firm will start producing do-it-yourself COVID tests. I'll get some more info on that, but that's interesting. 13, 12, 69. Look, parents are being told to make sure their young children don't abandon handwriting in favour of computer keyboards. News Corp reports physically writing down information is proven to help with memory, as well as develop hand-eye coordination and fine motor skills. Those skills can also be developed through painting and cutting with scissors. And I see experts are warning most exams are still in the written format. And students need to learn to write, that's W-R-I-T-E, in a fast and legible way. Yeah, this old debate will kick on forever so long as kids are playing with tablets and social media and sitting on computers. They will never replace good old handwriting. Although, I don't know, will there come a time when students sit their HSC behind a computer keyboard? Most likely that will happen. Probably. Uh, We're going to catch up with Christina in the capital in just a moment after our next break, but uh, some of the issues we'll be talking about. Federal politicians from Western Australia have been granted an exemption to attend Parliament for the first sitting week of the year. Now, at first glance, you go, oh, really? Again? You know, one rule for them, one rule for others. But I agree with this. (laughs) Our federal politicians need to get back to work. They work in Canberra. And so long as they're tested for COVID and they're negative, which I'm sure they are, let them get back to work in Canberra. No issue there at all. Prime Minister Scott Morrison appears to be eyeing off a target of net zero emissions by 2050. We'll get Christina's wrap on that. And donation rules are in the spotlight after new data revealed sizable contributions. Well, we spoke to Michael West from Michael West Media about these donations this morning on the program. By the way, a little later we'll have a podcast up. Just a separate podcast. You can get the, the whole show po- a podcast a little later, but my chat in particular with Michael West will interest many of my listeners. So we'll have a podcast separately of Michael's chat up on our Facebook sites in the next hour or so. All righty, 13 12 69, the telephone number. <laughs> Now, because they specialise in strata complex unit and commercial building repairs or upgrades, Network Construction Services are your remedial building specialists. And you can trust them, whether it's structural repairs, facade and cladding replacement, waterproofing, upgrades to electrical and fire services, improving accessibility, concrete cancer repairs. Well, Network Construction Services bring together over 70 years of combined industry experience. So, if you need repairs... Maybe refurbishments or maintenance to your strata complex unit or your commercial building and you need it completed on time, within budget and to the very highest standards of quality. Well, Network Construction Services are the leaders in remedial building work. You can find out much, much more at networkconstructionservices.com.au or give Steve a call at Network Construction Services now on 98 08 You got it? 98 98- Zero eight fifty six seventy three. Oh, okay. I see uh, that at Sky they've uh, done what we did, Scruff. They put Stuart Bonds from One Nation up against Joel Fitzgibbon from Labor or the Labor recalcitrant uh, up on Sky with AJ. 
And uh, they went head-to-head on Sky on Alan's program last night. Anyway, I put a, a copy of that video up and AJ's editorial and interviews. Uh, do you agree or disagree with his points? Um, but just a reminder, please, if you wouldn't mind, um, when you're talking about these issues on our social media, I've noticed of late it's getting a little willing. Just try and keep away from the personal attacks. It kind of lowers the debate, and we hear regularly, by the way, that Alan listens to occasionally and supports our program. So we want you all to be courteous. Just Let's just stick to the issues rather than personal attacks. There's no point. There's no point. So Labor MP for Hunter Joel Fitzgibbon has gone head-to-head with One Nation candidate Stuart Bonds over the issues of climate change and coal in their electorate. We had both Stuart and Joel do the same thing on our program a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but this one is a little bit more in-depth. So if you want to have a look, it's actually quite good viewing, to be honest. That's why I shared it. And I think it's an important video that uh, people up in the Hunter should get a look at. All right, uh, now we're going to go to Canberra ourselves. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital. Canberra. With Christina Rosengren. Well, Christina couldn't get back into Canberra because of COVID-19 when the whole joint was locked down without going into quarantine. But WA politicians can. Hello, Christina. Hello, Marcus. Yeah, this exemption. Look, I tend to agree with this. Um, I want our politicians to get back to work ASAP. So long as they test negative to COVID, they need to get back into their electorate offices and start working for us. Yes, so uh, that's what the uh, ACT House has announced. Uh, So, of course, the sitting week starts today. It's the first parliamentary sitting of the year. And uh, yesterday we spoke about how nine federal politicians were forced into isolation because they were on a plane travelling from WA to Canberra when the WA Premier Mark McGowan announced this lockdown, this five-day lockdown in response to a highly infectious case of COVID-19 detected in Perth. Uh, The ACT Health has announced, though, that those MPs and senators will be freed from isolation so that they can attend the three sitting days of Parliament this week, and that's because uh, they are essential workers. So they've been granted individual exemptions on that uh, ground. Political staffers and advisors haven't been granted that exemption, however. And uh, ACT Health has defended this decision because it's uh, told anyone who is isolating is allowed to apply for an exemption uh, if they are an essential worker or they're deemed to be an essential worker. So it's within the rules. Uh, So it means that these MPs and senators will be here for this first sitting, uh, which, of course, gets away underway today. All right. Prime Minister Scott Morrison appears to be eyeing off a target of net zero emissions by 2050, Uh, although he really, he kind of balked at it and said that a little later in the year we'll unveil our climate policy, Um, but we'll see what happens, Christina. Yes, so the target hasn't uh, been set yet, but the the language is certainly changing. So uh, yesterday, as we spoke about Prime Minister, Scott Morrison gave a speech to the National Press Club, and that's before Parliament resumes today, and we spoke about yesterday how that was very much an agenda-setting speech, and it focused on a few things, including COVID-19 and the economic recovery and and mental health and aged care and so on. Uh, But another interesting thing that Morrison said yesterday was that his goal is to reach net zero emissions as soon as possible and preferably by 2050. And that's interesting because uh, obviously the PM hasn't previously refused to set that target and has very much distanced himself from it. And that that target is still quite a divisive issue within the coalition with a a few conservatives believing it will be too expensive. So there's still quite a few arguments uh, in the coalition itself. And Mr Morrison uh, did repeat uh, yesterday that 
the well, the government line that uh, he will be trying to achieve this goal through technology, and uh, that includes driving down the cost of clean energy from hydrogen, so he won't go down the route of taxing Australians. Uh, but this does sort of signal a shift in the way that the coalition, or perhaps the PM, is approaching emissions reduction and climate change, sure. and, and certainly a needed one considering how countries overseas are approaching this issue, which means that Australia is a being left behind in many senses. We spoke about before that uh, Mr Morrison was denied a chance to speak at an online international climate summit uh, because of his refusal to commit to this target. And uh, obviously there still isn't government policy, but it does just sort of signal a shift in language. All right, and finally, we spoke to Michael West, journo, independent journalist, uh, about this story this morning on the program. By the way, that podcast is now up on our page, 2smsupernetwork.com. Just click on Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, The story about the federal political donation rules now being in the spotlight after new data revealed sizable contributions, Christina. Yes, it's it's certainly not new, but there is a bit of talk about this now because of this new data released by the Australian Electoral Commission. It's showing all the donations from the 2019 to 2020 financial year. And uh, the top donor for that financial year was mining magnate Clive Palmer through his company Mineralogy. He contributed $5.9 million to his United Australia Party in the year to June 30th, (laughs) along with $75,000 for the Nationals. And then Australia's richest man, Anthony Pratt, came next with $1.3 million to the Liberal Party, $250,000 to the Nationals, and $20,000 to Labor. So... As you can see, some sizable sums, and yeah. it's uh, prompted the Centre for Public Integrity to call for some urgent reforms. It says the Commonwealth Government has the weakest political finance laws in the country, and that's something Labor is talking about today now as well. So Senator Don Trowell has spoken to the ABC. He says it's unacceptable to have someone like Clive Palmer, for example, putting so much money into the electoral process. He's made a few suggestions about how to reform these laws. He he wants there to be uh, there to be a limit on how much an individual or organisation can donate. He also wants real time reporting of donations because uh, at the moment these donations aren't disclosed for months and months until after they've been made. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Carroll also wants to lower the amount above which a donation has to be disclosed. So currently, a donation has to be uh, disclosed if it's over fourteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and Mr. Farrell wants to lower that to one thousand dollars, and that would really address the amount of dark money in the system. Uh, which refers to funds that don't have a disclosed source. And the Centre for Public Integrity has done an analysis on that, which shows there's been $1 billion in dark money given to parties over the past 20 years. Oh, oh. It raises some serious questions about the influence donors are afforded and how it affects uh, you know, our democracy. Yeah, well, Michael West basically came out this morning and didn't call them donations, Christina. He calls them bribes. All righty, great to talk to you. Uh, We'll catch up uh, with you tomorrow and we'll hear your reports today across the Super Radio Network. Have a good day. First sitting day back in Canberra. It'll be a busy one. All the best. Thank you. All right, Christina in the capital. Marcus Paul in the morning. With the John Laws Morning Show, not too far away. Lawsy in from 9 o'clock and to take us up near the news. Let's have a little bit of music, a bit of a toe-tapper. This one, I love it. Hey, Marcus Paul in the morning, that's about it for us today. Thank you very much for all your emails, your SMSs, and also your calls on 13 12 69. And our guests, Andrew Lee, Michael West and Pauline Hanson, will be back again tomorrow morning, of course, first at 5 on 2SM out of Sydney. Come up the dial and give us a trial. Marcus Paul in the morning. You make me smile like the sun.
John Law's Morning Show is next. You can call Lawsy right now. one 564 That's one 564652. You can email Lawsy, thefortressatjohnlaws.com.au or if you want, send him a text. 0458-049-209, the king of talkback. Back after the 9 o'clock news. Have a great day. Bye. Even when you're gone Somehow you come along just like a